Just before I uh, share a passage out of God's Word uh, leading into our sermon time, I'd just like to, uh, to thank Don for uh, his sharing last week prior to his Bible reading about how God's Word was so powerful and uh, had an impact on his life at such an early age. And uh, it is a reminder that God's Word is powerful and uh, it is living and active every day in our lives to teach us, guide us, encourage us and often to give us a lot of challenge so but don't take my word for it let's read his word and the passage uh, this morning comes from Matthew 28 and it's the last five verses of Matthew 28 as we commonly know as the Great Commission so Matthew 28 and we're starting at verse 16 through to 20 then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. May God bless his word. Amen. Thanks, Tony. It's a passage we're pretty familiar with, isn't it? <coughs> we must have looked at that. I don't know. I don't know what the number is, but it's certainly numerous times over the years. So this morning I am simply going to share with you some of my reflections on this passage. Um, I'm just going to work my way through it, uh, just as I was reading it and thinking about it, noticing things that some I hadn't noticed before, some connections, and then of course some of the obvious ones um, that we are very familiar with. All in all, if you're taking notes, you should get about 20 points. If you're listening, there's no way you won't remember them, I won't remember them, Yep, but you'll remember some of them. So the key this morning, I think, is listen and listen for what God wants to say to you about a particular part of this passage and be open to what it is because it may surprise you. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your powerful word and for this very familiar passage to us. Lord, open our eyes to see and help us to listen, to hear, um, to connect with and respond to the truth that you want us to grasp this morning. So Lord, speak to us. We, your servants, are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Contagious Christians. That's really why I picked this passage, but there are numerous passages we're going to work our way through over the next five, six weeks or so. Um, and so it overlaps, it runs parallel to what Pastor Charlie will do at night, which is fruitfulness on the front line. In the morning, we're going to talk about us as followers of the Lord Jesus being contagious. It's like having COVID. You want to infect people with it, not COVID, Christianity. Um, so it's about just being authentic followers of the Lord Jesus. And if we are authentic, if it's real, if it's genuine, then it's almost automatic it's not something we do it's something God does with us and through us with other people 
but the key for us is to be genuine, to be authentic. So let me give you an overview and then I want to start reflecting on these verses very slowly with you. So the 11 disciples, it's interesting Matthew says the 11, the 11 disciples go to Galilee where they had been told to go and they go to the mountain where Jesus told them that he would meet them um, and when they see him, they worship him. But it also says, interestingly, but some doubted. Interesting point. And then Jesus came to them and he says four things uh, using the word all. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I have all authority, go and make disciples of all nations. All authority, all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all commands. There you do three. All commands. And teach them to obey all my commands and lo, I am with you all the days. All the days. That's the emphasis, the theme, certainly. There's this introduction and then we have the commander has all authority the commander gives us his mission instructions, his marching orders for all followers of the Lord Jesus, and that's to go into all nations. And he gives us a promise as we obey him, he will be with us always until the end of the age. This age will end. How do we do this? Just by way of introduction, disciples live and talk with people until people come to believe and seek baptism into the name of the triune God. It's evangelism, if you want to call it that, that brings people to discipleship. And then the disciples continue to live and talk with people in such a way that they teach all of Jesus' commands so that new followers obey. That's evangelicalism that keeps us in discipleship. So one is bringing people to faith. The other one is helping people move on, maturing in their faith. And then it's those who live in obedience, they're promised the constant empowering presence of this very same commander. Let's have a look at verse 16. The 11 disciples came to Galilee. The 11, not 12. Judas has committed suicide. Peter has been restored after his denying Jesus. Matthew draws our attention to it's the 11. It's not the perfect number of 12, it will be again soon, but at this stage, it's 11. 11 limps. It's a reminder, the implication is, I think, that Jesus is telling us, or that Matthew is telling us, that Jesus is going to command a defective 11. If you like cricket, the name of the cricket team has how many in it? 11. There's no 12 men. It's unmanned. And Matthew's giving us a picture of the church is not all that it should be, but Jesus is going to use her to achieve his purpose and work through her anyway. The 11 disciples, not apostles, not pastors, not missionaries, not leaders, not officers, simply disciples, those who follow the Lord Jesus. They went to Galilee, as they were instructed by Jesus before the cross, as they were instructed by the angels through the women after the, after the cross, after the resurrection, he's risen from the dead and he's going to meet you in Galilee. 
and we aren't given the specific instructions, but this certainly says that Jesus had told them exactly where to go in Galilee. It was to Galilee because that's where the majority of the followers were. And it was probably at this time that Jesus appeared to the 500 at one time. That's probably this instance. So just like Abraham, the disciples, the 11, are commanded, instructed, leave here, they're in Jerusalem, leave here, go to the place and meet him there. Just like with Abraham, you have to trust him. Will he be there? Is he risen enough from the dead to have the energy or the wherewithal to meet me there? We're not told any of those sorts of responses from them. But discipleship involves, just like for them, so for us, it has this element of risk, this element of trusting him, of daring to believe that the Lord will be there where he says he will be. He'll be there at the end of the journey. It's about following his instructions, trusting or faith in him, is simply obeying his commands, following his instructions, relying on him to keep his word. It was either D.L. Moody or C.H. Spurgeon, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them said, if Jesus commands me to run at that wall, that brick wall, it's my job to run. It's his job to move the wall. Our job is to obey. Our job is simply to do what he wants us to do. And that can be challenging. And it can be inconvenient because he wants you to do it at a time you don't want to do it. You want to be doing something else. I'm very confident that the Lord is tapping some of you on the shoulders and saying, I want you to step up into ministry. I want you to volunteer. I want you to get involved in the life of this church. I want you to commit to this church. They go to Galilee. What's the significance of Galilee? Well, this is a theological reflection. Galilee was the place, the primary place of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it seems to me that Jesus is deliberately connecting his post-resurrection appearance with his pre-cross or pre-resurrection ministry. He's linking his earthly ministry with his heavenly ministry. They're joined. They are not separated. Discipleship unites around his earthly ministry from small beginnings to a worldwide impact. That's what I think Matthew was alluding to, and particularly he's going to go on and mention all nations. It then says, um, they went to the mountain where Jesus told them, and it's, they saw him. Some worshipped, some doubted. They saw him together. They saw him just like in the upper room, or by the sea. It wasn't one-on-one. -on -one. There were instances of that, but in this instant, Matthew was drawing his attention to the fact that this is the church gathered, that they meet and see Jesus. It's the church meets publicly with one another or connecting in at home. But it's about connecting together, and there's something special. I can't explain it, I just know it's true where Jesus says, where two or three gather together in my name, what? There am I in the midst. Jesus promises to be with us personally and individually all of the days of our discipleship. And yet when we gather with other believers, there's an extra dimension to his presence where two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst. 
It's that opportunity, that time of him drawing near. And that's the opportunity you get whenever you come to church or whenever you tune in at home and try to connect in. That the Lord is, has his presence and he's willing to bestow his grace, his extra blessing, something. The truth is Jesus still meets disciples when his disciples fellowship with one another. Well, some of them worshipped him. I need to go back before I get to that. I want to talk about the mountain. I jumped over all of this. It's significant that it's a mountain. As you read through the Gospels, in fact, when you read through the Scriptures, but in the Gospels, mountains are significant places. It's almost an allusion back to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's the place of divine revelation. So in Matthew's Gospel, there is a mountain of temptation where Satan, interestingly, takes Jesus and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and says, if you bow down and serve me, I'll give all of that to you. Here in this passage, Jesus clearly says no. He never sinned, so he said no to temptation. Here he gets far more than what Satan was offering him. Mountain of temptation. Sermon on the Mount. Some commentators and early church fathers like to imagine that the mountain they are now meeting on is the very same mountain where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know. But it's an interesting thought, isn't it? The very place where he gave instructions is the very place he's giving his final instruction. It's just being in the same place would remind them they would make the connection. It was on the mountain where he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000 where people wanted to come as a response to that to make him a king. It was on a mountain where he was transfigured. It was on a mountain where he gave the sermon at the end of the age, Matthew 24 and 25. And when Jesus comes back, he'll descend to a mountain, Mount Olives. Mountains are important. Particularly in the scriptures, it was Abraham on a mountain, Mount Moriah, where he offers Isaac, or almost offers him, if he's willing to. It's Elijah on a mountain, Mount Carmel, where he defeats all of the prophets of Baal. And now here in Galilee, the Lord's final revelation, his final instruction to his gathered earthly church is on a mountain, the Mount of the Great Commission. If you're taking notes, write down Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 and look that up at some point. It talks about mountains and Jesus coming and from that mountain his influence and law going out to over all of the earth. Matthew could also be drawing our attention to something like that. Let's go back to they saw him and they worshipped him. Just like the Magi way back in the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, so now here at the end it's the disciples who are worshipping him and you'll find it occasionally through the Gospels where Jesus does a miracle uh, that people respond with worship. Matthew, when he says they worshipped him, means to tell us and for us to know Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel, like it says in chapter 1 of Matthew. Jesus is God the Son. When Jesus says to Satan, uh, it's the Lord your God that you are to serve and no other, uh, he's referring to himself, his relationship with the Father. Augustine makes a very interesting comment about this seeing. Let me read what he says. If you've got ears to hear, receive this. If it goes over your head, well, that's okay. God wants you to hear it, then you'll get it. Augustine says, What do we see that they didn't see? We see the church in all nations. What did they see that we don't see? They saw Christ present in the flesh. 
Let what we see respectively, they saw him physically risen from the dead. We see the church in every nation. The sight of Christ helped them to believe the church would go worldwide. The church, our sight of the church being worldwide, is a reminder to us that he is risen from the dead. How do you know he's risen? The church is in every nation. The body of Christ. The body of Christ spiritually. Well, some worshipped him, but Matthew is not ashamed and, not, and he's being very honest. He records the fact and some doubted. Not the 11, I don't think, but some of the others, as I said before, this could very well be the occasion in Galilee on this mountain where Jesus appeared to 500 at one time. And amongst those 500, there are some people that uh, have some sort of hesitation, some sort of doubt. It certainly reminds us, it indicates to us that it's an honest report. One commentator says, they doubted so that we wouldn't have to doubt. Matthew's not hesitating to record the reality. They doubted, perhaps we should add the word initially. Because certainly all the way through the gospel accounts, those who had been sceptics came to believe. Thomas, Paul, James, the two on the Emmaus Road. The ten disciples, when they were told by the women that he had risen from the dead, they all doubted but they came to believe. What does this doubting mean? It means troubled indecision. It's not opposition and it's not unbelief. It's wrestling with, it's having questions. There's another time in Matthew's Gospel where worship and doubt are linked. It's where Peter walks on the water. When he gets back in the boat, they fall down and they worship him. But Jesus says to him out on the water, why did you doubt? The church of the Lord Jesus has people in it who worship, but it also has people who have questions. They wonder, they have doubt. Is it really him? Is it true? Yes, of course. Oh, really? Matthew's alluding to that. The thing I want you to note is exactly at that point, and some doubted, what's Jesus' response? Then Jesus came to them. He doesn't address their doubts. There is no correction, there's no rebuking. He just simply gives a command. He speaks to them, accepts them. And Jesus came to them and said. It's not that he's ignoring it, I think it's another truth. That Jesus knows that when you hear truth, that helps you come to strengthen your faith, your belief, in the will and the word of God. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 7. Those who do, those who choose to do the will of God will know the truth of who Jesus is or the truth of God's will for their life. And this is so, therefore, Jesus is talking to a church, the 11, that limps along, that is a mixture of strong faith as well as ordinary faith, simple faith. Perhaps I should say there is no great faith here, there's just real faith in a great God. And it's not faith without questions. Worshippers with questions are the instruments that Jesus will use to achieve his purposes. 
I find that liberating, not perfectionist. In fact, I wrote down here, I've told you this before, for you to be an effective disciple, then you need to be fat. What does fat mean? F stands for faithful. A stands for available. T stands for teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. And just because it's me and because I have lots of spare time and I like playing with words, I added to it. Jesus doesn't just want you to be fat, he wants you to be a fat so. <laughs> F stands for? A stands for? What? <laughs> T stands for? S stands for? Submissive. Submissive. O stands for? Obedient. Put up your hand if you're a fatso. <laughs> Jesus wants all hands up. He wants us faithful, available, teachable, submissive and obedient. It's not hard. You just got to be you. You've got to be the you who is following Jesus. And you'll limp, you'll stumble because we're not perfect. You may at some times have questions, you may have doubts, you may have hesitations. But the point is to get there eventually. And Jesus comes to them and he's patient with them. There is no rebuking or anything like that, it's just amazing. He just takes us as we are. He took them as they were. These are the instruments that I am going to work through and there's no plan B. You don't have to be theologically educated, you don't have to be the most whatever, outstanding citizen of the nation that you live in. And then notice the Lord Jesus doesn't say anything to them. There's no fear not. There's no word of greeting. There's no invitation to touch him. He's just like a king who simply presents his address. But he's not declaring it, he's not preaching. Matthew says, and he said. He just simply spoke to them. Normal, down-to-earth language. Matter of fact, he spoke to them. And the stuff he says is amazing. It's outstanding. He says, all authority, all, in heaven, all the authority in heaven given to him. That means He's the boss of heaven. That means he's God. And he's going to come back to that and say that again in a different way. All authority in heaven, so there's no spiritual power greater than the Lord Jesus. We're going to talk about that tonight. And on earth, there is no earthly power greater than the Lord Jesus. And it's this realisation, this truth, this claim, is what drove Brother Andrew to cross national boundaries, national borders, as God's smuggler. He had the belief, I answer to a higher authority. I will obey his command. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go to all nations. So he did. He would cross where doors were closed and he would see God open them, smuggling Bibles into needy countries. 
This declaration of the Lord Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, to me. This declaration is why the early church had to come to the conclusion of the belief in the Trinity and to its belief about Jesus himself, that he is divine. This is Jesus' final self-claim and it forces disciples who are there listening and us meditating on this to choose. What do you think of him? Who do you say he is? All authority, heaven and earth is mine. Go and baptise in my name. Elevates himself to the divine level. Do what I say. He doesn't point to God, he points to himself. Who is he? He's Lord and he is God. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is rounding out the teaching that has gone all the way through Matthew's Gospel. So what? Well, most English Bibles have therefore. It's a good translation. It could also mean um, so. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so you go. He's commanding us to go. The go is not grammatically a command, but in its context, it is. Go. Could also be translated so as you go, as you go about your normal, everyday, ordinary life, not necessarily as you go overseas as a missionary or as you go internationally, it doesn't exclude that, but it does include as you go about the ordinary circumstances of your life, just as you go, as you shop, as you drive, as you walk, as you relate, as you go. Connect with people. Stay on the alert. Discipleship following Jesus is about being outward focused. It's not only that, but that's certainly an important part of it, that you're looking to the people you're talking to. Faithful, available, teachable, submissive and obedient. Following his prompts, what's God doing? We've put in place a pastoral search committee to go look for potentially two associate pastors to come and join us on staff. So we put that together and then guess what God's done over here? Suddenly, there are two people who have turned up in our church. They won't meet that criteria. But we need to be responsive and listening to, what is God doing? One of them, it looks like he's going to take off to college to be trained for future ministry. One looks like he's just finishing training and he's wondering whether God wants him to be here to join the pastoral team, whether it's on a part-time basis or whatever. So... We thought that's what God was saying for us to do and meanwhile God's doing this and that's what we do as disciples. We think and we plan, we submit and we follow what we think God is wanting us to do but when God does something different, you've got to respond to it. So we're in that process now of trying to respond to it. This is still going, that's still happening and we're still seeking God and saying, Lord, what, what are you doing? What do you want us to do? You'll find out more about that as you go. What have we got to do as we go? Make disciples. Not preach, not convert, not win, not push, just simply dialogue, talk, discuss, learn, be open to conversations. Bring them into the school of Jesus, however that would happen. Jesus is not asking his disciples to stand on street corners and to preach and to declare. He's not asking us to do that. He's not asking us to knock on doors and do cold call cells. He's not into telemarketing. Isn't that annoying? 
if you have any advice on how you deal with telemarketers in a polite, nice way, please come and help me. I either get caught listening to rubbish for five or ten minutes and I can't get rid of them, or I have to be what I think is being rather abrupt. I have solar panels, thank you, click, or whatever. <clears throat> it's go and make disciples, relax, be yourself, build a relationship, walk and work with people over a period of time and introduce them to Jesus. In fact, Peter says, live your life in such an authentic way, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, uh, that's always be ready to have an answer for those who ask you for the reason for the hope that you have. Live your life before them so that they'll ask you, why do you go to church? Why don't you do this? I've never heard you swear, how come? Or whatever it is they raise with you. Uh, but Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. Respect. That means treat people, people who are on the opposition, who have some other religious beliefs or commitments, treat them with respect. Because the reality is, this is what we have to do, totally committed, just being authentic disciples, getting close to people, not all people, but some people, and then having an impact upon their life. That's what we're going to look at, that sort of pattern over the next few weeks. Because only Jesus can convert people, only Jesus can win them, only Jesus can work in them by his spirit. He's the one who's been given all authority and he's the one who is working in people. He is the one who is convicting, he is the one who is drawing Yesterday morning at the uh, World Focus Team prayer breakfast, Gary Weston shared the story that he had made 94 phone calls to Japanese-speaking people to ask them if they would like to read the Bible with him, to study the Bible. Four people said yes. So now he's, through Zoom or however he's doing it, reading the Bible with people. And one of those girls, she said yes, and he named her yesterday, and we prayed for her specifically and some others. Um, but this girl is now getting amazing uh, insights. She's not a Christian yet. They're reading through the Gospel of Matthew. She read the Sermon on the Mount. The conclusion she gave to Gary over the Zoom meeting is that she started crying. He said, oh dear, what are you crying about? She says, my I'm not living my life to the standard that God wants of me. God at work. To a person just reading the Bible with somebody. Simple. And you might respond, oh, I couldn't do that. Well, it's okay. Find what you can do, what you're comfortable with. Maybe it's sitting and knitting with other people who like to knit and you build a relationship. There are people like that in the world. They actually like knitting. I'm married to one of them. <laughs> Bible says that for God is at work in you to give you the desire and the ability to do what he wants. Our Heavenly Father is inviting us to join him in that process. I know you know all this stuff. He is commanding us to do, in fact, just what he did. That's what he did. You study the Gospels of the Lord Jesus and you'll find 27 occasions when he's simply having conversations with people, whether it's the woman at the well or whether it's a blind person by the side of the road. He was just open to whatever his Heavenly Father and the Spirit were doing. 
He just went and did what God wanted him to do. And he didn't get all upset about, you know, quotas and trying to do things. Let's move on. Go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here, were the Jews believed and they knew the Father was divine. They believed the Spirit of God was divine, but here Jesus now elevates himself to the same level. Once again, he is declaring his deity, that he is the Lord God. Baptize them in the name singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are equal and one. That's why in the book of Acts you'll often find that they simply baptize the name of Jesus. Because it summarizes this Trinitarian formula. Is baptism important? You bet it is. Jesus requires this public confession to those who follow him, this outward physical ordinance. Water, being baptized in water. It's not necessary for salvation, thief on the cross were saved, but it is necessary for you to be an obedient disciple. You can't be an obedient disciple without being baptized. That's why our constitution says that the members of our church have to be baptized. Preferably, and whether you're baptised as a believer or whether you're baptised as an infant, you have to be baptised. There's no such thing as a non-baptised disciple. Not in the New Testament. All disciples were baptised. And we believe, our church believes and teaches, that baptism is when you become a believer. Somebody else can't do this for you. You have to obey this command. I don't mean to offend any I know there are folks here who have a different belief and the Lord bless you that's between you and him you believe that we'll believe what he actually teaches boy that was rude you know I'm joking about that baptism though is very important Jesus stuck it in this place in the great commission and he's going to go on to say to obey all of his teaching so in baptism, of course, we come under new management. We join a new company of fellowship. We come, we receive new obligations. The old is gone. It's a drawing a line in the sand and saying, from this point on, I belong to him. That's what it's doing publicly. And in some cultures and countries, it quite literally does that. In some countries and cultures, when you get baptised, up until that point, you're part of a, maybe a non-believing family. As soon as you get baptised and declare your faith publicly, as far as the family is concerned, you just died. They'll have no contact with you. You'll be isolated and ostracised from the family. That's the implications in some cultures. And that's what Jesus requires. He is Lord first, before family. A group of people came to him and he was teaching them. I need to stop chasing rabbits. But anyway, his mum and brothers were outside. And they wanted to see him. And Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? The people who hear the word of God and do it, that's my new family. wasn't rejecting his family, but he was putting them in the right place. They needed to join his family. Anyway, that was last Sunday night's message. Just as Jesus was baptised, the Heavenly Father spoke from above, you are my beloved Son. So in baptism there is this connection with God and the Holy Spirit came upon the Lord Jesus. So in baptism there is this, I believe, this bestowal of grace, this blessing because of obedience. So baptism connects and empowers us to do the task that he called us to do. Having baptised people, we are then to go on and to teach them to obey everything that he has commanded us. So to share with them, to model with them exactly 
all that he has taught. Charles Spurgeon says, we are not to invent anything new nor change anything to suit current age, but we are simply to teach baptised disciples to obey all that he commanded. Which is why the Gospel of Matthew was written. Matthew has very cleverly, has five sections of his Gospel which are teaching sessions, sections. So you can quite easily take the Gospel of Matthew and use those five teaching sessions to do that. To teach them to obey everything he commanded me. Chapters 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 13, uh, filled with parables. Chapter 18, about the church and how we are to relate together. And chapters 23 to 25, the fifth section, is all about the second coming. Jesus requires commandment keepers. And notice, commanded is in the past tense. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What I've already instructed you with. Instruct them according to the, what is now the New Testament, the Scriptures, not whatever new commands. Jesus says, teach them verses, not visions. Anchor it to the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. And the wonderful promise is, I am with you always. He's declaring that he is omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. So for the third time, Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I am divine. I am your Lord. Because only God is capable of being omnipresent. All other creatures, including ourselves, including Satan, including angels, are all localised. They can be in one place at one time. They can move, but they're not omnipresent. It's a wonderful promise of assurance. To these obedient disciples who gathered with him on the mountain, because they did what he said, go to Galilee and I will meet with you. And because they did, he gives them this instructions and this wonderful promise and he does the same to us as well. And if you look to the grave, which is where we are all headed in this life, then he promises us, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, with you always. Look beyond the grave. When the Lord Jesus returns, it's, then we'll ever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these teachings. And Matthew just suddenly stops. If you were in the movie theatre, then the screen would simply go to black. There is nothing else. And the words of the Lord Jesus in this great commission are left ringing in the ears of those disciples as they should be in ours. Matthew doesn't mention the ascension. He doesn't mention Jesus ascending to heaven. He believes it, but he doesn't mention it because he wants to emphasise, I am with you always. He is here, not physically, spiritually. The words of Jesus are to ring in our ears. I close with this. This commission, J.C. Ryle says, is still in force. It is still the bounden duty of every disciple of Christ to do all he can in person and by prayer to make others acquainted with Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go make disciples, baptise them, teach them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and dear Holy Spirit, Lord our God, may we sense and feel your presence. And may you go before us in the days of this week. And may we be responsive and obedient to what you want us to do, to follow these very clear instructions, 
So, Lord, equip us and enable us and use us. We pray in Jesus' name.